Emily Dickinson once said of death, And if I go while you're still here, know that I live on, vibrating to a different measure behind a thin veil you cannot see through. You will not see me, so you must have faith. I'll wait for the time when we can soar together again. Both aware of each other, until then, live your life to the fullest. And when you need me, just whisper my name in your heart. I will be there. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Coffee, Tea, and Crime. This is Dana, and in today's episode, JR and I will be traveling to Virginia to analyze the tragic on-air shooting deaths of a TV newscaster and her cameraman. This is the story of an airing of death, the murders of Allison Parker and Adam Ward. It was four something in the morning on August 26, 2015, and Allison Parker, along with her cameraman, Adam Ward, left WDBJ TV station in Roanoke, Virginia. They drove through the early morning darkness south towards Moneda, Virginia, a short 45 minute hop to the Bridgewater Plaza and their interview with Chamber of Commerce head, Vicki Gardner. The 27 year old Ward and 24 year old Parker had become quite an early morning dynamic duo. Adam had been with the station for six years or so and Allison had been the morning reporter since 2014. Adam, the Virginia Tech Hokie, and Parker, the James Madison Dukes graduates, always had a great time working together. After arriving at Bridgewater, the pair met with Miss Gardner and all stood together on a balcony overlooking the marina and miniature golf course. Ward took a panning shot of both as the interview began. Within minutes, with the news anchor and studio production team sitting at the station watching the broadcast and thousands of viewers tuned in, the broadcast was shattered by eight gunshots, screams, and the fallen camera of Ward videoing images of the shooter. It was not just a case of workplace violence that one hears about secondhand. It was caught on Ward's camera as well as videoed by the shooter, who later posted it on Twitter and Facebook. The oddity of a shooter holding his phone videoing while firing a handgun was so shocking that some viewers of the posted video scoffed at it, claiming it was fake. The identity of the shooter was not a mystery for long. The poster of the video to social media was a Bryce Williams. Williams was the on-air alias used by Bester Lee Flanagan during his time as a news reporter for the very same WDBJ-TV. Flanagan had worked with and around both Parker and Ward before he had been fired two years previously. After leaving the scene of the shooting, he made his way north to Roanoke, switching cars at the Roanoke Blacksburg Regional Airport before heading northeast through Virginia. As Flanagan raced towards the airport in the minutes after the shooting, a phalanx of Virginia lawmen and multiple ambulances descended on the shooting scene. A SWAT team swept the area looking for the shooter as medical personnel had to stand by a safe distance from the scene. Ambush shootings after the initial shooting were not unheard of and Virginia authorities were taking no chances. After the immediate area was determined to be safe, crime scene personnel began their grim task of processing the scene, 
littered with as many as 15 shell casings as fire department personnel checked the victims. Parker and Ward were dead on the scene. The only survivor, Gardner, had been shot in the back and was transported to a local hospital in critical condition. As he drove along I-81 northbound in his silver rental car, the shooter may have reflected on his checkered history. He had worked at WTWC in Tallahassee, Florida, before being terminated from that job as well. Just as he would later do at WDBJ, Flanagan claimed bias by the station on both racial and sexual orientation issues. He was an angry, disgruntled individual who seemed to have issues and conflicts with coworkers at every turn. Accounts from former colleagues and court records indicated the suspect was a good broadcaster, but also combative and threatening, an individual prone to seeing himself as persecuted by employers and degraded and insulted by fellow employees. He sent a fax to the ABC News headquarters in New York almost two hours after the shooting. A little after 10 a.m., he called ABC and introduced himself as Bryce, but said his legal name was Vester Lee Flanagan and that he shot two people this morning. While on the phone, he said police were, quote, after him and all over the place, end quote. Why did I do it? I was already on the edge. The Charleston Church shooting was the tipping point. The victim's initials were written on the bullets, he wrote. He echoed the words of the accused Charleston gunman, Dylan Roof, and spoke of a race war, just as Roof had done. He claimed Jehovah had told him to act. He spoke admiringly of the Columbine High School killers and the gunman who committed the Virginia Tech massacre. At one point, he called his faxed ramblings a, quote, suicide note for friends and family, end quote. It seemed Flanagan got one thing right in his facts. He truly was effed up in the head. Police had located his Mustang at the airport and quickly discovered his rental car transaction. A broadcast for the car and suspect were issued for all of Virginia and the surrounding states. Information on the murderer, as well as the car, was entered into NCIC, which is National Crime Information Center. It would only be a matter of time now. Near the junction of I-81 and I-66, Virginia State Police saw the suspect vehicle pass by and initiated a pursuit that culminated on I-66 at mile marker 17.1 with Flanagan eating a bullet from the same pistol he had used to kill Allison Parker and Adam Ward and wound Vicki Gardner. Flanagan was transported to a local hospital where he died a few hours later. State police got a search warrant for the suspect vehicle. Search warrant, Commonwealth of Virginia, to any authorized officer. You are hereby commanded, in the name of the Commonwealth, to forthwith search the following place, person, or thing, either in day or night, Chevy, Sonic, four-door sedan, silver in color, at or about mile marker 17.1 of Interstate 66 eastbound. Authorities recovered, among other things, a Glock, 9mm pistol, ammo, and pistol magazines. Now, regarding the weapon that the suspect was armed with, it was purchased legally and a background check was conducted on Flanagan before the purchase was completed in July of 2015. 
There were no criteria that would have barred him from having a gun, such as felony conviction, a protective order, or a history of court-ordered psychiatric treatment. There were 19 different factors that could have disqualified him from buying a gun in Virginia. Convicted felons, people who have been legally committed to a mental health program, those with protective orders against them, illegal drug users, domestic violence offenders, and illegal aliens were some of the categories that background checks were intended to catch. You cannot read people's minds and you can't legislate what hasn't occurred yet. Most states have weak or ineffective gun laws that serve no deterrent value. State and county judges in many jurisdictions are incredibly liberal in their sentencing of defendants, which further erodes the already weak local gun laws. Only the federal government has strict gun laws which carry severe penalties. More ineffective or watered-down laws by states would not seem to be the answer. Police enforce laws and arrest countless gun carriers only to see them released by judges. Make prosecutors and judges more accountable and ensure your state penal facilities are not playing revolving door sentence reduction under the guise of good time. If you don't know about good time when it comes to prisons, then you should look into it. What is happening or not happening with violent offenders and prosecutors, judges, and state prisons would cause the public to lose their lunch. It is really scary if you bother to look. When it comes to suicidal, mentally unstable individuals like Flanagan, the warning signs were there. An enactment of laws to prevent them from owning or purchasing firearms might be something to look at. There needs to be criteria set in stone, not some loopy law or laws meant to be a general catch-all blanket gun prohibition. These are issues that so many times turn political with no one seemingly interested in effective management of crime or criminals. We need to manage people. According to Bureau of Labor Statistics, there were 354 workplace homicides that occurred in 2015. 85% involved shootings. There were 500 workplace homicides in 2016. The 2016 total was the highest since 2010. Of those workplace homicide victims in 2016, 409 or 82% were men and 91 or 18% were women. Homicides represented 24% of fatal occupational injuries to women in 2016 compared with 9% of fatal occupational injuries to men. For police officers, it is a risk that comes with the job. But for people like Allison Parker and Adam Ward, danger was not an inherent part of their job description. And like so many others over the years, they died at the hands of someone who they had worked with. Someone who on their best day had not the decency or moral courage to do what was right and persevere over adversity. And with a heart filled of hate and petty jealousy, only wanted to snuff out what they could never be. Well, as JR loves to quote from one of his favorite movies, that'll do, little pig, that'll do. And that'll do it for another episode of Coffee, Tea, and Crime. Let us know what you think about this case in the comments below. And if you have a suggestion for a specific case you'd like us to cover in a future episode, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for watching and give us a like if you enjoyed this video by hitting that thumbs up button. 
And don't be shy either. Go on and hit that subscribe button while you're there. Stay safe out there, and JR and I will see you on the next case. Thank you.